All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Aaron. I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate's novel veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. We did get a few uh, more reviews. We love it when you guys review us because it helps people find us. Uh, and we really, really appreciate it. But Clayton, you said one in particular was really interesting to you. Yeah, we got a review from Erica119. Five-star review. Which said, hilarious listen. Feels like talking dot dot dot. I couldn't... I don't know how on the new iTunes to find the rest of the title of reviews. So I'm assuming, oh. she said, feels like talking to friends. I'm assuming. I don't know what else it would say. But that's yeah. not the most important part. The body of it is the most important part. Erica said, I have recently discovered this podcast, and it has made my commute go by so quickly. I love the in-depth discussion, the hilarious commentary, and all-around love and respect for romance books. Love Aaron's defense of Colin Firth from Bridget Jones and Charmaine from Virgin River. I'm on your side, girl. And Clayton is a friend I wish I had. Very funny banter between these two. Highly recommended for all lovers of romance. That's so nice. I'm happy that she's on my side for Colin Firth. Which I also felt in my soul when that was going on during that, when we uh, reviewed Bridget Jones' Diary, the movie, because, yeah, Firth is the best. Yeah, and Charmaine, who, mm-hmm. we, who when Virgin River comes back, if it does, I don't know how the shooting of it went with COVID. I don't know what the situation, it was definitely renewed, but mm-hmm. we got to get Charmaine on the show. Oh, my God. Did we talk about that Charmaine reached out to us? I don't know if we mentioned it, but she she did she did tweet at us, correct? I don't have access, so I, I don't know the specifics. <laughs> she liked some tweets that us and friend of the pod, uh, Kate Claiborne, we were talking about our love of Charmaine, and then she started liking the tweets, and we started. I immediately texted Kate, and I was like, "What's happening?" And then uh, she DM'd us, and she said that she had listened, and it was so nice, and she thought it was funny, and all this stuff, and it was very, very complimentary. I was, of course, effusive in my praise for her, her character, Virgin River, <laughs> our favorite TV show. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully when when season two starts coming out, um, maybe she can pop on and chat with us for a little bit. That would be the most fun, because I really, I love that character, and I love that show so much. I would just want her to defend herself. <laughs> oh, I forget that you're not a fan of Charmaine as well. That's insane to me. I know we will we will find out about the baby if the baby is real or not. She wouldn't say because she, she has would integrity. N- and mm-hmm. the fact that she would not say makes me believe <laughs> that it's not so simple. Listen, Who she's a, she's like watch and see. She doesn't want to, you know, she doesn't want to give it away. No, I like I I actually very much I have nothing against Charmaine. I think it's just fun to these kind of shows. It's fun to like pick sides in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I find fun about these kind of shows. Yeah. And Lauren Hammersley is her actual name. Her name isn't really Charmaine. But yeah, Um, the thing that I loved about Virgin River is I was like, I'm enjoying this show. So I was watching it and, you know, Pat was wandering in and out of the room and then sat down and was like, became obsessed with it with me. And then we decided to do it for the podcast and you were like complaining. You're like, this is so many episodes. I don't have this kind of time. And I was like, fine. I'm like, watch like the first two. And you also ended up binging them because it's a very like watchable show that sneaks up on you. 
Don't ever listen to me when I say I don't have this kind of time. (laughs) It's a lie. I have all kinds of time. All right. Well, let's move on. This isn't a Virgin River podcast, but, you know, it could be. Um, So we have a book this week. It was actually wrecked to us twice. And it's also an author who people have uh, recommended quite a bit. Uh, She is... Um, I think like a real powerhouse, especially with um, uh, LGBT romance. So uh, I have she's been on my radar for a long time as far as like I we do have to definitely read her. So then I was so happy um, when we got these emails because I was like, good, because sometimes when I'm just on the fence about putting having us review a book for the podcast, if I get a few emails um, or DMs or tweets or something about it, then I'm like, okay, now we have to do it. So Uh, The first email is from Eva, and she says, Hi, Erin and Clayton, just checking in to say hi and to recommend a couple of books in case you haven't decided on your October reads for the podcast. I have two Halloween-appropriate recs. This email also, Eva, just came at that exact right moment. The same thing happened with The Widow of Rose House, where I was, like, very stressed out about a lot of things happening in my life. And then uh, to get a few emails that were like, Oh, for Halloween, you should read these books, was a godsend. Um the first book she recommended was dream lake by lisa claypass which we will certainly do um and also an unnatural vice by kj charles a slightly gothic victorian male male romance set in foggy london one hero is a charlatan spiritualist medium the other is a grieving journalist who tries to reveal him as a fraud there is no real magic in this one but there are seances magic tricks and hate sex these books have been on my mind for a while and i have read both several times i thought you might like them too or they would make at least interesting discussion fodder all the best to the whole troops trio stay well eva and then we also got an email from Erin. She spells her name A-A-R-E-N. Um, and she writes, I'm a new listener and I've recently discovered your podcast after the Faded Mates live show. And I absolutely love it. I have been catching up on all the back episodes and really enjoy listening. But I'm shocked that you haven't read anything by KJ Charles yet, as she's the queen of LGBTQ plus historical romance. I figured while I'm here, I'm going to recommend a few and I will endeavor not to just recommend every KJ Charles book. She really is the best. But a few particular favorites are An Unnatural Vice, the second book of her Victorian gas lamp series, Sins of the Cities, about a very stuffy journalist and a swinding spiritualist and a spicy hot enemies to lovers romance. If you pick literally anything by KJ Charles, even something I have not recommended, it doesn't matter. Pick anything. All her books are great. I'd be over the moon. Thanks for your great show. It's been such a joy during the time of COVID. And that was Aaron. So highly recommended. Highly, highly recommended. So, uh, yeah, I am excited to start talking about this book. But first, obviously, everybody knows we have to judge the cover. This um, guy looks like Lucas Haas. I was saying like Ben Wishlaw. Winslow. Wishlow. I can't picture his name. But, you know, from Bright Star. Now he's in Fargo. But, yeah. Oh, I don't know what Bright Star is. Okay. Ben Wishaw? Yeah. Is he an English guy? Yeah. Oh, I knew a girl who was really into him. Okay. He doesn't do anything for me. Neither um, does Lucas Haas. But I'm assuming that this is supposed to be Justin mm-hmm. on the cover. Yeah. Justin Lazarus. And it's good. I mean, I think it's like depending on your opinion of Lucas Haas or Ben Wishaw is going to be how attractive you think he is. But I do think he's an accurate representation of of Justin Lazarus for sure. 
Yes. Does it scream romance? Not really. The back is a very, like, moody, like, Victorian London street. It's all foggy. The fog in London is, like, the third character in this book. So I'm happy to see it represented. Have you ever experienced fog the way that it is depicted in this book? Well, I think the thing about the the London fog in this book is that it, like, doesn't exist anymore because it was such a... Um, a product of the pollution that was happening at the time that now I think it just like they, because of like new regulations and stuff, it doesn't exist on that level of it being like slimy and Th- that's and a shame. Disgusting. <laughs> Listen, millennials are ruining the fog industry as well. What about you? No, I've seen fog in the sense of, you know, looking outside and not being able to see past or being outside and not being able to see five feet in front of me. But it's not greasy fog. It's just regular fog. Yeah. Oh, no, I've definitely experienced that. Yeah. When you go to Nantucket, it's called Fog Island because the the fog, you can just like watch it roll in. It's very cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but it's not like this was truly disgusting. And I, I think there's always this, like, uh, like obviously romanticization of the past. And then when they're talking about that, I'm like, God, it <laughs> seems like you're walking through hell. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's, before we get into it, uh, Clayton, what's this book about? So this book is about Justin Lazarus, who is a flim flam artist, a seer who takes people's money and claims that he can speak to spirits, who is embroiled, embroiled, not embroiled, that's not a word, embroiled in a plot about two missing twins, one of which ends up being the son of an earl who killed himself because of bigamy charges, and this, one of the twins, they're twins, is going to become the Earl, and people don't want that to happen. And Justin finds out this information, and he is in mortal danger. Nathaniel Roy is a journalist, and he's connected to this whole bugaboo as well, because his friend Clem is part of that family, or at least connected to the the whole twin Mishigash. So... Nathaniel hates Justin at first because he's a flimflam man. And they have uh, many, many uh, fights, and then they have hate sex, and then they run away to escape somebody trying to kill Justin, and they fall in love, and then uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, well, oh, the, the, the twins, they're a boy and a girl. And one's named Regret and one's named repent, repent, Repentance. I can't say that word. <laughs> repentance. Which, those are bad names. Yeah, yeah, those are awful names. But it seems like their mother was a part of a 
religious group. Because basically what happened was like their father married her just to like have sex with her, gets her pregnant and then abandons her. And then she kind of joins this religious group, this religious cult to because she needs like safety and security and she has like two babies. Um, And it seems like they're like a Puritan type cult because I feel like if you look back at like names like Puritan names of the like 1700s Quaker names they're all like those sort of things it's like prudence or yeah godspeed or you know all of those sort of odd names I mean I like those sort of Quaker names not repentance and regret because those are kind of awful but (laughs) yeah so Elizabeth Godfrey right that's Mm -hmm. that's the woman and she's dead Mm-hmm. So, well, what did you think? What did you think of this book? So highly recommended. Mm-hmm. So I think we talk about the reading experience sometimes with with these books and how much that colors your experience of the book. And I think um, the great thing about romance is there is a romance for every mood. So when you have a certain mood or certain itch or certain experience that you want to feel, you read that type of book. And I think what happens with this or with us doing it this way is you don't have that opportunity. So it's like kind of you have to read the book that you're supposed to read when you're supposed to read it, despite what other things are happening in your life or sort of what you're in the mood for. So I feel like that really colored my experience of this book. I got some pretty bad news in the middle of reading this book and like I'm fine and everything's fine and everyone's going to be fine but like you know it really was on my mind and so then I think reading this book was hard for me because there's a lot of explanation there's a lot of who's this person to this person and 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 all of this like lines of succession stuff and I just don't know that I was in the frame of mind to receive any of that information and I think it colored the book for me because I felt like I spent the first quarter of this book or third of this book really confused about who I was supposed to be paying attention to what was important all of those questions um and then when I took the time to go back and read like okay well realized that this was the second book in a series went back to see what the first book was about so the first book is about Clem it's his book And so I learned more about him. And so that sort of made sense. And then there's another book after this that is about like the PI Mark who finds Penn and their relationship. So I'm like, okay, now I get this book being bookended by two other books. Um, It makes more sense where I think had we been reading this as part of a series, it would have been great. But I think reading this as a standalone, it's hard because all of the action and the intrigue and the reason and the, and the, uh, plot devices and the plot and the story engine is all external, like pretty external to Justin and Nathaniel. So it's confusing because I, I don't understand how these two are necessarily connected to the big problem of the book. Because basically what happened is like Elizabeth, the twins mother, has come to Justin, who's a seer, a psychic medium, and turns out he's actually not. He's using different spiritualism techniques and stuff. Um, to try to find her children, he lies to her about what he sees, where he thinks they are. Um, and then after she dies, the part of her cult come to 
try to track down the twins as well. And they think that Justin has actual powers, even though he does not have actual powers. And they're trying to kill him to get information about where the twins are because he's also like stolen a letter. So I don't know. It it was hard. I do think like I did like the story of the two of them coming together. I thought it was really interesting to have one character who deals very extensively in like logic and fact in Nathaniel being like a journalist and a lawyer and then have Justin Lazarus who is deals in none of that in like just pure emotions and reading people's emotions and all of these things that are impossible to quantify I found like them two together was pretty interesting and I think the time where they were at Nathaniel's country house was really great and just sort of like fucking everywhere um loved it the like the sex was good but I think yeah for, it's it's not a home run for me and I wonder had I read it in a different headspace if it could have been what did you think I like this book mm-hmm. and I agree with everything you said about the mystery and everything being external because I kind of just didn't care about that stuff because I I did know this was the second book Mm-hmm. And realized that there were certain things that I didn't need to really understand. The whole Clem part where it, he was dealing with something in the previous book. And it was like a, a an underlying theme or it was an underlying kind of situation that was still going on. I kind of just didn't even care about it. And I was more focused on their relationship, which is why I think people should read this book Mm -hmm. because number one, finally a character with a worldview that I can get behind Justin Lazarus, just a complete nihilist who (laughs) doesn't care about these people. I think I was hooked from the start because this woman's crying about her loved ones and he's just so annoyed by it. And he treats every single customer he has with the same amount of disdain, which is how everybody who is customer-facing feels. Or at least that's been my experience in any customer-facing job. Also, the fact that he says, if these people can afford this this service, they deserve to get swindled. Because he's just happy that he's sleeping in a bed. He has skills. They may be tricks, but they're skills. I thought it was hilarious that Nathaniel wanted to fuck uh, Justin immediately as he when he saw him, but still hated him for most of it. <laughs> and then that scene where they hate fuck is so hilarious. And I love that that uh, petroleum jelly was invented between the time that Tony, who was the ex that passed away, or got killed by a ceiling tile. Yeah, had a tragic work accident. A ceiling tile fell on him, which I know is tragic and can happen, but to me is is a little cartoonish and goofy in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like it would be like, well, Tony, uh, he a, an anvil dropped on his head, or uh, he was walking down the street and a safe fell, so he died like Wiley Coyote. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, R.I.P. Tony. But I love that the petroleum jelly was a thing that Nathan was like, oh, I'm going to try this out. 
and they totally just fuck with Greece and it's cool. I was more focused on their relationship. I liked how they open up to each other. I liked the opposites attracting the the enemies to lovers, which I normally don't like. So I, I enjoyed that. But like you said, I did I did think it got bogged down with a lot of where are these twins and who are the twins and how are they connected to this Earl and and Mark had Mark was doing all this stuff in the background too, which was he's not the main character of the book, so he did a lot of the work that I feel like the main characters should have done. Right. Like the main characters basically like somebody comes to Justin's house and he like Lee or they kidnap him and then he escapes and he goes to Nathaniel and they go to Nathaniel's like country house. And then they just kind of like hang out there and are like very passive for a lot of what is happening in the plot, which I think it's fine because there is a third book. And so you're going to be finding out what was happening during that time that they were just like hanging out in the uh, country. I that is when the book really picked up for me, too. I feel like at the beginning, they were also like apart for a long time and they were just never really getting together. And so I was sort of like, why am I reading this about these twins? And it was also the sort of thing of them. You know, we read the scene with Elizabeth and Justin of her looking for her kids. And then the second that somebody shows up and it's like, oh, we're also looking for twins. It's like, oh, it's uh or repentance and regret because we've already found out about them (laughs) and i think that's just sort of like a a story thing that it's like oh i just wish they had figured that out sooner because like i had figured it out so quickly i just didn't want to have to like be like oh i wonder what's happening yeah you don't want the reader to be so far ahead you Mm -hmm. want the reader to be just ahead enough that they feel smart right Mm -hmm. before that reveal happens But I agree, too, where I think, like, Justin and Nathaniel were both such strong characters. I really loved them both. It was easy then when it was just the two of them for to, like, really enjoy the book and really enjoy them being together. I mean, I loved Justin. I wish that we had been able to go into more of, like, how he did the tricks. But Mm. then I saw at the end of the book, K.J. Charles wrote basically, like, by my, like, honor like he I know how he was able to do them all but I'm not going to tell you because like that ruins the fun and I was like it does ruin the fun you're right but also (laughs) I do want to know yeah and then he has these two girls that work for him these two young girls and it, it was sweet too to see how much he cared for them and how much guilt he felt about possibly bringing them into the con that he was going to bring them into and how he wanted so much more for them and those were sort of his family because I feel like especially for uh for gay people and it seems like gay people of this time it's like you really have a found family is really important and it seems like Nathaniel has a with like a group of friends at this pub where he hangs out um and then Nathaniel sort of I mean sorry and then uh Justin has it with the with the girls and it it, it is those moments were always really nice too. Well, Justin is bisexual, right? Mm-hmm. Because he was his last lover was a woman, Bessie. Mm-hmm. Was that her name, Bessie? Oh, I didn't realize she was named. Yeah, he had a he had a, a woman before, so he's at at least bisexual, I guess. I don't know what his designation is to himself no but but i think he admits it though like they're talking about their past sexual history and justin is like 
no, I'm equally attracted to men and women. He's a guy that that had a rough upbringing, and you know he only he, he like you said he only has a few people in his orbit, but he cares deeply about them. Mm-hmm. And I, I really that really resonates with me because I I do feel like I am very 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 loyal to the people that i care about and then very dispassionate about the people i don't that is true and i don't know if that's positive thing or where that comes from or if that's just a defense mechanism but i do feel like caring about i've just found in the past that if you care about too many people it's too much work and it's it, not that I, I don't want to do work, but I think it's easier to be available to people when it's less people. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't have a I couldn't have like fifty friends. I just don't have the capacity for that. But I have the capacity for ten to twelve, <laughs> or maybe more. It might be more than that. But let's talk about the fog more, too, because it's really interesting. They how much of the fog is a part of the book. Um, And I wonder if it was just like that this fog existed everywhere in London or if it was just in certain areas or. Uh, I don't know. I'm interested to learn more about it, but it they the way that she describes it is it being like slime and difficult to breathe, and they have to wear um, like masks over their face or over their nose and their mouth. Imagine having to wear a mask when you go outside. <laughs> well, as we all know, wearing a mask is pretty easy and and not that much of an inconvenience, and everyone should be doing it every time they leave the house. Um, do you think more people would wear masks if COVID was a greasy fog that they could see? Maybe. Should we just start that rumor? <laughs> just start. Well, spring. I don't know if we could start a rumor that it's a greasy fog, but mm-hmm. but I do think that if it was something people could see, they'd be a lot more frightened of it. Oh, yeah, because whenever they show those, like, schematics of, like, people coughing and then the particles going everywhere, I'm like, ew, that is really gross. <laughs> Well, the thing with it is germs want to be invisible so they can do what they're what they need to do. I mean that's the thing. COVID is only doing what it's what it's meant to do. Yeah, which we is can't go blame from, COVID. Yeah, from can't blame COVID. It's a very COVID uh, just trying to live its life. COVID yeah, COVID just be COVID. <laughs> but, oh, we can't blame people who refuse to wear masks. Wait, we can't blame people who refuse to wear masks? No, we can. That Those oh, are the villains. Okay, that's what I was like. That seems like a weird take from you, Aaron. But oh, you know what? It's, is it weird if I now just come out as a COVID denier? As a, yeah, I think so. I think it would be kind yeah. of weird. I mean, there are COVID deniers that exist. I just didn't think you'd be one of them. Mm, yeah, well, you know. Listen, you don't know everything about me, even though we speak nonstop constantly. And also, people's minds can change. Yeah. You were very much about the fact that it was a real threat, and we all had to wear masks and, and, and be wary of it and protect our loved ones. And now you've changed your mind. Yeah. 
now I'm just like, you know, screw everyone else. It's my it's my happiness is paramount over, you know, other people being sick and dying horrible deaths by themselves. So, you know, that's just my stance. I like that you're able to change your mind. And, and a lot of people are so set in their ways. Uh, obviously, I'm joking. Everybody wear a mask, socially distance, well, pay attention well, to regulations. I'll edit that out. No, you don't have to edit it out, obviously. I mean, I think if you couldn't figure out that we were joking, then I think, you know, whatever. That's no, I'm going to edit out the part where you say, I am joking, wear a mask, and socially distance. Oh, okay. So you, now I'm just the villain of the podcast. I don't know, see how this helps you necessarily, but okay. I mean, you have to take a stand. You have to You have to smear. You were going to smear me eventually. Well, I'm going to record separately where I say, hey, you need to stop this. And then I go into like a, a really well-written rant about mm-hmm. how, how, you know, we all have to care about the community and where, you know, it takes a, it takes a village, et cetera, et cetera. I haven't really written it yet, but I'm going to, <laughs> and then I'm going to insert it. It's going to be great and mm-hmm. uh, rousing and mm-hmm. I'll come out as a hero and you will come out as a villain. And that's just the whole plan. That was my plan all along. All right. There's been one long con, like, like Justin you, Lazarus. Your con was predicated on there being a global pandemic. And, you know, but I appreciate you do have to have your con, you know, a ton of plans for everything. You have to see what's coming up. Yeah, that's what was, I mean. You think that this is the only plan I had? Yeah, of course I had a pandemic plan, but I have plans for everything. <laughs> nuclear, nuclear war, drought, famine. <laughs> I got um, a grift for every season. You got a grift for every disaster. Oh, uh, you gotta. You gotta. Man made or natural, you got the grift. Exactly. But we love the fog. The fog is our friend. But this is a fog that actually existed, like you said. And the author, you know, took advantage of the fact that this is a real phenomena that happened around this time. And and I think it was a fun addition. I like that, that people couldn't see shit. That's cool. That always makes things more exciting. Oh, well, what do we think about Justin Lazarus also being a secret rich guy? I mean, never a fan of secret millionaire. I thought that was so odd, and I really disliked it. Because it felt like it was just a, like, let's just sew this up and make it so we don't feel so bad for Justin or because Nathaniel's whole thing, too, was he was like very cognizant of the fact that he was very wealthy. And in his mind, Justin was not. And so anytime that, you know, and especially with Justin coming to him for protection, having Justin under his protection, he was very worried that, you know, them engaging in sex or anything that Justin was going to think that he had to do it um, in order to have the protection and in order to have Nathaniel help him, which obviously Nathaniel like didn't want that. And that's not what he was thinking. Um, so it seemed weird that then the solve for that was just for Justin to be like, oh, I get 500 pounds a month. So don't worry about me. I'm actually quite wealthy. And I felt like that undermined everything for me because I was sort of like, okay, so now Nathaniel's issue with not wanting, with being nervous about being with Justin, he, he still wanted to be with him is just gone. And that's not something they have to work through. But also I was like, okay, well, well, then why did you run away to the country with him? Because if you had that much money, you could have just like gone to a hotel or something and 
I don't know. It I I really disliked that as a weird thing to just put in at the end because it was also uh you know Justin wanted the two women or the two girls that work for him to like be educated so Nathaniel was offering to educate them and all this stuff and I don't it just felt really weird and like bizarre to me as a throwaway you know I would have preferred if it was just like something they had to work through because also like there are relationships where one person is significantly more wealthy than the other one and that's conflict and that is like interesting and that is something that people have to like work through and it's not as interesting I have to be like oh no wait actually I too am rich (laughs) you know I think it works towards a happy ending but that is you can have a happy ending with somebody still not being as well off as the other partner. I think it's more enriching and a better relationship, at least for a reader, to see the two worlds figure out a way to make it work without that kind of easy fix. Mm -hmm. KJ Charles is a very, from what we are getting from our, from our listeners, a very well-liked author. Mm -hmm. What did you think about the writing. I mean, I think it was well done. I would read another K.J. Charles, but I don't know if I'd want to read one in the middle of a series. Yeah, I definitely would be more than happy to read another one of hers. I think she's fantastic. She's a very good writer. She's very evocative. She's excellent at characterization. She's excellent at sort of that interpersonal relationship. I think the plot is the part that fell a bit short for me, but it's like, I kind of get it. And I think had I read the books around it, it, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a big of a bother to me. Um, so yeah, I would be a hundred percent down to read another KJ Charles, of course. And yeah, and maybe read the first in a series or a standalone to see what that's like. It's hard because the first in the series is so much setup. I mean, we, we always have that issue with those. And then now with this one, we were like, well, we didn't get the setup, so we don't know. But I do think there's a way to do a series that the books aren't as connected as this. I think these books are more connected than some of the series that we've read. And that was yeah. intentional because I think she's she's doing an overarching storyline with connected mysteries and I don't know if I'm as interested in that. I'm not really a mystery guy. I don't really care. Me? That's the thing, too. Although, honestly, when Penn showed up and Mark and that whole interplay at the end where they basically bring everybody to the to the Earl's house because basically Penn has decided that he doesn't want to accept the Earldom, but he gets tricked to going. And we find out that he's, like, gender nonconforming. Um, and just the small interaction we saw with Mark, it was that little spark of like, oh, I should definitely read this book. Like there's something here. I'm really enjoying this vibe. Uh, so yeah, I mean, she also got me hooked, so I'm in. So read you're going to read the, you're going to, <laughs> you're going to read the third book. I do. Yeah, definitely. I think I will ev- like eventually I, we have such like a brutal reading schedule <laughs> that I'm looking forward to if we do take time off at the end of the year to really just like go into a bunch of books that I've been, you know, holding, wanting to read. Here's a big question. Here's the question of all questions. Would you fuck them? Yes and yes. I mean, I think Justin, to a lesser extent, I think I would want to, like, be friends with him. I I did. There was nothing about him that I felt like was like, oh, yeah, like, really 
into it. Nathaniel is being described as being basically like giant and really hairy, which like normally I'm not into like a ton of hair, but there was something about the way he was described that I was like, oh, I do feel like I want to see what that's all about. Um, but they were very sexy. And I would say the sex scenes in this book are are really great. Yeah, the, them still arguing while they're fucking is really funny. I Oh, my God. I love that. I would fuck them both. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I stick my dick in that greasy fog. <laughs> Get balls deep in that soup. <laughs> Why Can not? Just, it's like, an experience. It's an experience. Have you just romanticized London so much in your mind that you oh, were yeah. like, any aspect of London I am 100% into? Yeah, greasy fog, give it to me. <laughs> so should we do some Goodreads lists? Oh, we gotta. Uh, So it's on a ton of like most anticipated lists and all those sort of things, which obviously I leave off. But just so you know, this was highly anticipated. Um, All right. Best gay historical romance. Yeah, I could see that. I think of the historical gay romances that we've read, I would say this is this might be my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't feel like we've read a lot of gay historicals. No, we we certainly haven't. So, yes, but I guess so. Yes, um, best gay enemies, rivals, opposites become lovers. Yes, on the page, atheist in romance novel. Yes, Victorian gay romance. Yes, con confidence men and women in romance. Yes, Victorian spiritualism fiction. Yeah, yeah, I love the spiritualist movement. I find it very interesting. Um, I love reading about it. So I would read also another book about spiritualism in Victorian age. It's uh, it's my own little uh, thing that I love. And KJ Charles, at the end of this book, she lists a ton of books that she read for research. And I was like, ooh, these are all books that I would also like to read. Um, male, male romance with grit and heart. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Class difference in historical romance. Yes. Oh, it was ori- originally set up to be that, yes. Yeah, and then, you know, secret rich person ruins the party. Gay romance featuring intense need-you-now sex. Yeah, I mean, they... I mean, they're they're in the middle of an argument and they decide to have sex. It is just like... Um, it's only that, basically, until the end. <laughs> they always have very intense sex and it always feels like they kind of don't want to be doing it but they're just like can't help themselves and they're doing it anyway and i always find it so good and it's mm-hmm. so fun and so so sexy fluffy queer romance yeah so with everything that's going on in this book with there's murder there's violence there's ceiling tiles falling on people's heads at least in flashback it is still kind of fluffy mm-hmm there is a level of this the tone never gets so dark that you lose your boner. Yeah, and also it's like Justin is an orphan and he was brought up in the workhouse, which I think is done well in that it's like it informs his backstory, but it's not like he's constantly thinking of that in a way that other books just sort of lean on that as like this is his personality, he's an orphan, you know. Yes, it's not misery porn. And so those are the list. Uh, Clayton, what are your tropes? Enemies to lovers. Twins. 
Con man. London fog. <laughs> Love that fog. Uh, secret millionaire or secret rich man, which is what happens. And LGBTQ plus romance. Yeah. Those are my tropes. What are your tropes, Aaron? All right. I have hate fucking. Oh, yeah, um, great trope. A week out of time. I love when books do this. We're basically like the two characters. If it's enemy to lovers or whatever it is, they just go somewhere and it's just the two of them for a period of time in the middle of the book. Love it. I love that. Uh, running to the country. One hero is trying to expose the other. When this is all over, we will be over. So sort of having a time limit on the relationship I love they have decided, like, once they leave the country, they won't be together anymore, which is, like, obviously not true, but still love the angst of it all. Uh, Hero's getting over the death of his lover. Um, LGBT romance, gay ro- gay historical romance, London fog. Starchy hero gets unstarched. Um, someone's trying to kill the hero. Uh, one saves another and keeps him safe. An empty country house, but there's a maid and a cook. Atheist hero, con man hero, found families, rich hero, poor hero. Um, all right, Clay, what has you swooning this week? I've got a very special swoon this week. It's October. It's Halloween season, which means that myself and my friends get together for what we call Haunted House Pie Day. And we've been doing Haunted House Pie Day for 10 years. And this weekend, we had the 10th and final Haunted House Pie Day in Long Island. We were all masked. We all distanced. We all did what we needed to do. But we got together and we did what you do on Haunted House Pie Day, which is buy pies and eat them, carve pumpkins, and go to a haunted house. But since it's COVID times... There was no haunted houses, but there was a haunted drive through, which <laughs> you got in your car and drove through a, I guess it was like a haunted highway. It was, it was, you, you know, you're, you're driving through this campground and there's, of course, like it's Long Island. So it's all teenagers dressed up trying to scare you coming up to your window, banging on the window and jumping out and staring at you. It was really fun. It was for a good cause, so like it was for charity. So, uh, but we got to go and do a haunted house, which was really fun. But this is it's it's crazy that we were talking about this and how we'd done it for ten years, a decade, a full decade of going to eat pies and carving pumpkins, and we are in our thirties. I mean, this was the entirety (laughs) of our thirties. We were doing this. This started when we were (laughs) thirty. So just picture that. But it's one of the many traditions that our group of friends has, which I love. That's why I love my friends so much. But, you know, it's it's amazing to look back at what's changed from the first one to the last one. The first two, we went wine tasting, which is so weird. And that, that fell by the wayside very quickly. I know, because Noah's really a big drinker. No, and also it's like, we're not we're we at that point at the beginning we're not that classy maybe we do wine tasting now because we're a lot classier oh sure 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 but also that was when it was just a all guys i think it was all guys and maybe our friend aaron not not you aaron but uh (laughs) no i'm not your friend 
Yeah. No, you are my friend, but not not this specific friend. <laughs> but I think Aaron Rose Chan would come. But otherwise, it was just a bunch of dudes drinking wine, which we were like, this isn't us. We're pie yeah. eaters. We're pumpkin carvers. We're haunted house goers. But I did a little presentation of the top 10 pumpkins of the last 10 years that did really well. And it was really fun fun to do that. I did a PowerPoint. Um, and some of the carvings are so hilarious. Just because they're so bad or they're so good, Rebecca. Uh, so Rebecca did all of the great pumpkins that we've ever had, really. Because she's just she's such a professional a, artist, yeah. Yeah, and she's just as skilled with a as with a knife as she is with a pen. So it's it's always so amazing to see what she comes up with. But anyway, so that's what I'm swooning about. I'm swooning about my friends in general, but Haunted House Pie Day, R.I.P. Rest in Pie. You know, it's dead but not gone. I guess. So that's my swoon, Aaron. What has you swooning? Fargo, it's an anthology series, so every season is its own complete story, which I love because I feel like, especially in American TV, it's like the first season of anything is the best, and then after that, it just sort of really falls off a cliff in general. Um, And so this is all about – it all takes place in – uh, middle America and it's an interesting story about different sort of immigrants experiences and sort of how they are connecting um, this is basically about sort of like the, the the Italian group in the city and the black group in the city and they're both sort of like involved in crime and all of this stuff and they're sort of um, coming up against each other for power it's really well done Um there is this creepy story of this nurse who's like a black angel, uh, Jesse from um, Wild Rose, that Scottish movie that we loved. Oh, Jesse uh, Buckley. Yeah, plays her. And she's like out of this world fantastic. There's a young girl who's kind of the main character and she's really, really good as well. Um so it just started, I think we're on episode three or four. So I would say like, ha- if you've never watched Fargo before, it's fine because this is a, just basically a completely new story. Chris Rock is in it and he's doing okay. <laughs> like he's holding his own. Um, And uh, yeah, and, it, and it's really good. It's really well done. It's very well written. It's really interesting. Um, Jason Schwartzman is in it and he is very funny. Uh. It's a great show. So, yeah, watch Fargo. Well, Aaron, where can they find us? So you can always uh, email us any of your recommendations, any of your thoughts at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Learning Tropes and on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. Obviously, we have our Facebook group, the Learning the Tropes Troops, still going strong. And we have merch. Uh, the link is below if you want to buy a T-shirt, mug, stickers, Go for it. Great for Halloween. Great for trick-or-treaters. Oh, yeah. Give out stickers instead of candy. Stickers. Give out hoodies. Baby onesies. Give out out tote bags. Come on. Don't be be that house that just gives out stickers. You got to give them something good. Mm -hmm. Right? You got to. You got to really make a. You got to make somebody's day. So, and also, when's the last time a tote gave you diabetes? I'll say it. Never. (laughs) <laughs> no one's ever gotten a, t- a diabetes from a tote, except for maybe what's in a tote, but not the tote itself. We right. can't tell you what to put in the tote. 
you could put as many you could put candy you know the other thing too is if you're gonna go trick-or-treating you need something to put the candy in so get a tote get one of our totes and then people will be like oh my god what is that and they'll be like oh it's a podcast and then you'll have a conversation with these people at at the doorstep yeah connect yeah we're we're connectors that's the thing we're uniters not dividers so give totes instead of candy but if you're gonna get candy get candy in one of our totes Mm -hmm. there we go all right and next week we are reading black rose by nora roberts um so go ahead and grab that i can't believe we've never read a nora roberts before so i'm really excited about that one um and finally learning the tropes is part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast all right bye everybody bye